the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to start things out taking a look at some of the day's headlines. Then in the second half of this first hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. And in the second hour, the Christian outlook. Today, we'll hear from Dr. Albert Moeller and Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Ryan Bangert about the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary's lawsuit challenging the vaccine mandate for employers. And Bob Burney discusses how the vaccine mandate will turn employers into the vaccine police. And Carl Markowitz uh, about the disturbing limits we are seeing uh, to free and unfettered speech in the great USA. So all of that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. First, taking a look at some of the headlines. The spending bill would, in fact, break the president's pledge not to raise taxes on the middle class. That's according to a new analysis. And that analysis was done by two groups on the left. Well, provisions included in a draft version of the president's social spending bill would violate his pledge not to tax or to hike taxes, uh, affecting only those Americans earning $400,000 or more per year. That's according to the analysis released on Thursday by the Tax Policy Center. Well, taking into account all major tax provisions, roughly 20% to 30% of middle income households would pay more in taxes in 2022. Again, according to the Tax Policy Center, the think tank determined tax increases would be very small with low and middle income households that were subject to a hike paying an additional $100 or less on average. Households earning between 200000 to 500000 would pay an average of approximately $230 more per year if the plan is implemented in its current form. Even a small hike would contradict the president's oft-repeated claim that tax hikes implemented to cost uh, to cover the cost rather of his $1.75 trillion spending bill would apply only to the wealthiest Americans. Republicans and other critics of the signature legislation have long argued the middle class will see the tax hike if it's implemented. Best of all, the cost of these bills in terms of adding to the deficit is zero, zero, zero. That's a quote, by the way. And I made a commitment when I wrote these uh, when I was running. No one making under four hundred thousand dollars a year will see a penny in their taxes go up. And that's the president. Uh, what he said while touting the social spending bill and a separate bipartisan infrastructure bill during an October 5th speech in Michigan. Well, nevertheless, the Tax Policy Center's analysis determined the spending bill's provisions would, on average, cut taxes for nearly all income groups in 2022. But the top 1% by income would pay an average of approximately $55,000 more per year, while the top 1% Actually, 0.1% would pay an additional $585,000. In other developments, Senator Manchin is opposed to the proposed bonus tax credit for union-made electric vehicles in the Biden spending plan. That could be another impediment to its passage. And partisan Gingrich says the Biden-Harris approval rating marks the beginning of a political disaster for the Democrats. Kaylee McEnany, she blasted the president for 
The king of the establishment, Terry McAuliffe, reports have surfaced that the president may find a place for the longtime Clinton confidant in the White House. The American Petroleum Institute president says Biden policies are a key factor in the surging energy prices. Florida Governor DeSantis floats sending migrants to Delaware in response to the administration's migrant flights to Florida. Well, the Florida governor, governor rather, on Wednesday floated sending the migrants to the president's home state of Delaware in response to the dozens of migrant flights DeSantis says have landed in Florida at the behest of the Biden administration. If they're going to come here, we'll provide buses, DeSantis said, of the migrants on the flights. I will send them to Delaware and do that. If he doesn't, um, if he's not going to support the border being secure, then he should be able to have everyone there. Well, the Republican governor has said has been ramping up his battle with the administration over migrant flights into Jacksonville. His office told the Washington Examiner that there have been more than 70 flights of migrants into the Sunshine State since this summer. The Examiner reported that officials said the administration has refused to tell the governor's office about who is facilitating the flights and other information. DeSantis, who is again the governor, uh, said that the flights operate in the late hours of the night uh, at one or two or three in the morning. He added that the flights were unannounced and he was given no notice and thus no ability to veto the flights. Republicans have been sounding the alarm for months on flights into the interior of the U.S. and other transports of migrants into non-border states such as Tennessee and New York. In other developments, a New Mexico man has been arrested for allegedly concealing 67 illegal immigrants in a box truck. The Florida attorney general slammed the Biden administration for flying migrants to his state, not the governor, but the attorney general, saying he has no regard for law abiding citizens. And Tom Homan, he sounded the alarm on vaccine mandates, saying they're devastating the border security. The Obama ethics chief is troubled by the Biden White House staff revolving door from influence peddling operations. And President Biden announced a plan to treat veterans medical conditions from toxic air. On the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the defense rested its case and the jury is expected to begin deliberations on Monday. Defense attorney representing Rittenhouse, who was accused of fatally shooting two men and wounding a third in Kenosha, Wisconsin, rested their case Thursday in the divisive murder trial, setting the stage for closing arguments early next week. Rittenhouse is being mocked by Hollywood after his tearful display on the stand, calling him a terrible expletive actor. A Kyle Rittenhouse spokesperson um, uh, said the the uh, president uh, <clears throat> uh, for casting the defendant as a white supremacist should be sanctioned. And Lawrence Jones admits the media and Democrats have realized that they were wrong about Kyle Rittenhouse. Although I'm not seeing any evidence of that thus far. Well, a media outlet went to a bat to defend uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's fake French accent in France. And President Biden went from respectful to racist in his Veterans Day speech. But he gets a pass. A university admissions graphic doesn't consider Asians to be students of color because, well, now it matters. And um, Sia Torelli is planning to concede to Murphy in the close New Jersey governor's race, but plans to rise again. A school district hired students claiming others don't want to work, referring to the adults. Car makers and retailers just previewed how bad holidays the holidays will be for businesses. That is, of course, if your holy day centers on the accumulation of stuff. 100,000 pounds of chicken have been recalled due to possible bone contamination. And top Senate Democrats want to take drastic action when it comes to U.S. oil exports. 
Uh, an expert warns airline staff shortages could spell disaster this holiday season if you're planning on visiting family across country. Well, even the Tax Policy Center finds that the Democrats' spend-a-palooza would break Joe Biden's pledge not to raise taxes on the middle class. The First Amendment won a temporary victory. A federal judge ordered the Department of Justice to halt data extraction from Project Veritas' James O'Keefe's phone uh, following the dubious uh, FBI raid. An appeals court temporarily delayed the release of Trump documents on the January 6th Inquisition. And President Biden refers to a famous picture as a great Negro. This after um, Barack Obama, the president for which Biden was the vice president, signed a law banning the government from using Negro. Well, Biden was the vice president at the time and should have known better. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. The largely Democrat infrastructure package faces largely Democrat-induced delays from workforce shortages and supply chain snares. A record 111 container ships are floating off California's busiest port despite Biden's 24-7 schedule and looming fines. And thanks, Biden or Obama, average new car prices soar to records about $46,000 on average. You might want to hang on to what you've got. Iran-backed militants stormed the U.S. embassy in Yemen, seizing hostages and equipment. They were Yemenis who were manning the embassy at the time. China's rapid military advances stoke fear and catch the Pentagon by surprise. October shatters yet another border arrest record, thanks to open borders. And um, paper tiger Anthony Blinken warned Russia over their troop buildup and regional aggression. Russia is not all that concerned. A Robin Hood data breach exposed 7 million customers, and the NIH knew the Wuhan lab enhanced bat coronavirus years earlier than officials testified. A grantee says accusing the NIH of false statements. Minnesota's leftist governor tried to pump COVID numbers to justify a shutdown in the state. And the FDA, rather, has recalled 2.2 million at-home coronavirus tests due to false positives. YouTube is removing the dislike count on all videos across its platform. And Peloton has blocked users from using the hashtag Let's Go Brandon. In a 2007 video, President Biden, who wasn't president at the time, obliterates his 2021 policies on the border and war exit. Rather interesting to follow what politicians said then and now. A California school district votes to defy the state's vaccine mandate. And a journalist witnessed, uh, witness rather, corroborated Kyle Rittenhouse's testimony that the man he shot charged from behind. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're looking at uh, some of the hard news of the day. We'll switch to the lighter side of the news in the second half of this hour. So stay with us. And by the way, James Blend will join me for that. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show as we wind our way through some of the top news stories of the day. Well, schools are shuttering their doors as teachers are being fired over their vaccine status. Many schools that remain open are lowering their standards for teachers, but remarkably, the New York Times story doesn't mention the vaccination mandate issue a single time in the entire story. Instead, saying low pay, high stress and challenging work conditions have plagued the profession for years. But the fear over contracting the coronavirus has created the perfect storm, Ms. Anderson said, and teachers are now leaving or retiring early. Just a month ago, the New York Times noted 4% of the teachers in the system were about to lose their jobs for being unvaccinated. They didn't 
reference that this time around. The New York Post had the number at 28,000. The Los Angeles Times claims 99% of their teachers were vaccinated, but that's still 500 who were fired. In Seattle, 5% of the staff were set to be fired over the vaccination, and the list goes on. Well, Hugh Hewitt predicts the current Supreme Court will likely do away with Roe. He's more optimistic on that point than I am, but he writes that the entire cobbled together facade of jerry-rigged ad hoc and incoherent abortion case law will be swept away. Well, he's certainly accurate in his description of Roe versus Wade and the half century of strained readings and outright judicial inventions overruled the repeated attempt by the Supreme Court to legislate at one uh, removed from representative state and federal elected legislatures will blessedly end abortion will be legal in many states, even late term partial birth abortions and so on and in other states almost never allowed after a heartbeat is detected in the unborn baby the court will walk away from the now obviously failed effort to forge a national consensus by diktat where none can be had i hope hugh hewitt is right i hope i'm wrong President Biden's Build Back Better plan breaks the president's tax pledge and a California school district voted to defy the state vaccine mandate. The board of trustees at the uh, uh, Calaveras uh, United School District, which is comprised of 10 schools and serves more than 2,800 students, voted five to zero not to support, enforce or comply with the mandate, which is still pending. The board announced its decision to parents via Facebook. The vote applies to both students and staff. Well, Yale has as many administrators as students. They apparently love bureaucracy. And the cost of that education? Well, the Border Patrol could lose half of its agents over the vaccine mandate. Former chief operating officer of CBP from 2019 to 2021, Mark Morgan, obtained a document from the source inside CBP. The uh, leaked document shows nearly half of the agents have not registered their COVID vaccination status and 10 percent of those who have registered have not received a shot. The federal mandate issued by Biden may result in the loss of over half the Border Patrol agents. CNN joined the partisan attack on the Rittenhouse trial judge. CNN's Baraka Sellers said, you have to look at the totality of this judge's actions. You have to look at the rulings that he has made. I said it yesterday, and I'll be extremely blunt. It appears that this judge is auditioning for the cameras and looking for his next gig on Fox News, end quote. Dan McLaughlin points out, when you can only imagine one motivation for due process of law. Meanwhile, from a Guy Benson thread, I don't know about some of the lower charges, but... But it seemed to me that Rittenhouse did not commit murder and has uh, offered a strong self-defense case. This is based on video evidence and testimony, including a jaw-dropping admission from the surviving witness shot by Rittenhouse. Los Angeles is telling robbery victims to cooperate and comply so the thieves can step up their game. And instead of stealing from stores, they can come to your house and take your jewelry. How pleasant it must be to be a thief these days in the state of California. For residents, that's another story. President Biden talked of the great Negro at the time, referring to Satchel Page. The media covered for him, as they always do, many claiming he never said this, but there is video. Mediate tweeted, no, Joe Biden did not refer to Satchel Page as a Negro during Veterans Day speech. But in the story they linked uh, to, he clearly did say just that. As I mentioned, it was outlawed for government officials by the uh, Obama administration. Tim Carney points out 90 percent of the of facts are really actually we understood the basic point of that differently than some people are present presenting it. You could say obviously he meant to say great Negro League 
pitcher at the time rather than great Negro at the time. Yes, but why lie? Some ask. I mean, we're, we're getting to this point where these kinds of things uh, actually matter in, in ways that they probably shouldn't. What else did he have to say? It's probably of greater significance. Well, this day in history, 1920, baseball gets its first czar as Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis is elected commissioner of the American and National Leagues. 1927, Joseph Stalin, he becomes the undisputed ruler of the Soviet Union as Leon Trotsky is expelled from the Communist Party. 1936, the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge opens as President Franklin Roosevelt presses a telegraph key in Washington, D.C., giving the green light to traffic. 1948, former Japanese Premier Tojo and several other World World War II Japanese leaders are sentenced to death by a war crimes tribunal. 1977, the city of New Orleans elects its first black mayor, Ernst Dutch Morial, and the winner of a runoff. 1987, the American Medical, uh, Medical Association issues a policy statement saying it was unethical for a doctor to refuse to treat someone solely because that person has AIDS or is HIV positive. 1998, Chicago Mayor Richard Daley files a $433 million lawsuit against the firearms industry, declaring that it has created a public nuisance by flooding the streets with weapons deliberately marketed to criminals. A judge would dismiss the lawsuit in 2000. An appeals court would rule in 2002 that the city of Chicago could proceed, but the Illinois Supreme Court would dismiss the lawsuit in 2004. And finally, on this day in history, 2013, an international panel of architects announces that the new World Trade Center tower in New York would replace Chicago's uh, Willis Tower as the nation's tallest building upon completion. Well, newly released internal emails reveal that the National School Boards Association coordinated with the White House and the Department of Justice before sending President Biden the notorious letter that compared concerned parents to domestic terrorists. Email provided uh, uh, to Fox News show the NSBA had coordinated with the White House for weeks beforehand. Viola Garcia, the NSBA president, whom the Department of Education later named to a federal board, sent a memo to NSBA members on the 11th of October, um, but dated October 12th, providing a timeline of the NSBA's interaction with the White House ahead of the letter to the president, which the NSBA sent on September 29th. Five days later, on the 4th of October, the Department of Justice issued a memo directing law enforcement to investigate threats to school boards. And on the 22nd of October, the NSBA issued an apology for the letter. Well, concern over the current climate for school board members is also a top priority as disruptions at school board meetings grow and members face growing threats, Garcia wrote at the time, according to the memo obtained by Parents Defending Education through a Freedom of Information Act request. NSBA has been actively engaged with... With the White House, Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Education, Surgeon General and other federal agencies on pandemic related issues on the September 14th, 2021, or rather in that meeting of the NSBA. Uh, Organization of State Association uh, Executive Directors Liaison Group, uh, they were informed that they had been a meeting with White House staff that morning and that the NSBA was uh, preparing to send a letter to the president. Subsequently, on the 17th of September, the interim executive director emailed notice to the state association executive directors that indicated a letter requesting federal assistance would be sent.
More than 600 parents in Scottsdale, Arizona, are demanding the resignation of the school board president after a shocking revelation. The president, or possibly his father, appears to have kept a dossier on 47 parents who dared to speak out against his policies at school board meetings. A dossier complete with social security numbers, background checks, a divorce paper, mortgage documents, trade certifications and screenshots of Facebook posts. I'd call this retaliation, said a mother of six and candidate for the Scottsdale Unified School District Governing Board. Thursday, she said the list of parents targeted in the drive appears to be anyone who has spoken out about anything against this district publicly or online. Uh, Carney told Fox that more than 650 parents have signed a petition demanding the uh, governing board president um, resign in the wake of the scandal. And finally, the Washington Post did something many other liberal outlets have failed to do and corrected previous reporting that relied on the discredited Steele dossier that accused former President Donald Trump of an extensive conspiracy with Russians. The Washington Post on Friday took the unusual step of correcting and removing large portions of two articles published in March of 2017 and February of 2019 that had identified a Belarusian American businessman as a key source of the dossier, a collection of largely unverified reports that claimed the Russian government had compromising information about then-candidate Donald Trump, Post-media reporter Paul Fari wrote. The newspaper's executive editor said the Post could no longer stand by the accuracy of those elements of the story. It identified businessman Sergei Millian as Source D, the unnamed figure who passed on the most salacious allegations in the dossier to its principal author, former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele. Kudos to Washington Post for doing what every outlet should do when they get it wrong. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When I return, I will not return alone. James Blend will join me and we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. Stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Joining me now is James Blend, the producer of The Georgine Rice Show, to help us wind through some of the uh, lighter side of the news. Welcome, James. Sorry, I was just distracted by the um, beautiful weather outside. Wow. Have you seen that much rainfall in a long time? Well, you know, I actually spent about 30 seconds in my car this morning, kind of waiting for it to let up a little bit before coming <laughs> in and realized that that just isn't going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah, last night it was raining quite heavily as well. I was trying to make my way to a close by Fred Meyer, and I usually take a left turn on a street that I've done many, many times. I m- pulled over as if to make the left-hand turn. I couldn't tell where I was. It was so wet and dark and blustery that I, I was going to turn where you shouldn't make a left turn at all at the wrong street. And I know this like the back of my hand, which that night I could barely see. Anyway, it's been it's been pretty rough when it comes to driving. Anyway, a woman who decided to run the distance of a marathon every day during COVID-19 lockdown earned a Guinness World Record by running 95 marathon distances in 95 days. <sighs> Alyssa Clark, she's originally from Burlingham, Burlington, Vermont, said she was living in Italy in March of 2020 when the government issued the first stay-at-home order, and she soon discovered the summer marathons she'd been training for were canceled. Well, she said she decided to run the distance of a marathon during every day of lockdown, expecting the project to last, oh, about 15 days. But she kept it going, even finding time to run while moving to Naples, Florida. Well, Clark, who used a treadmill some days, ran outside when possible, ended up running 95 marathons 
uh, or the distance of the marathon in 95 days. The runner said she had started a 96th marathon run, but decided to stop uh, partway through when she fell ill. Well, that would be a good excuse for doing so. I know I've done two marathons. I can't imagine they were in different years with years between them. I can't imagine um, running more than one in a period of a year. I, I, I did the math on that real fast. That is 2,489 miles. Well, she's got to be in good shape. But she did fall ill, so that raises questions. Maybe she did a little bit too much. But she did set a record. Well, that makes it worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing nobody's going to try to break that record anytime soon. I'm not going to. Well, when um, Maribel Sotelo and her family brought a cute little puppy from a small shop in central Lima uh, home, they had little idea that... They had just let a fox into the hen house, quite literally. The family pet initially played happily with the other dogs in the neighborhood, but as it grew up, signs emerged that something wasn't quite right. The dog called Run Run started to chase neighborhood chickens and ducks to kill or eat them, provoking anger in the neighborhood, as you can imagine. It turned out that it was an Andean fox, which has thin legs, a bushy tail, a pointed head, and prominent ears. You know, like a fox. We had thought he was a, well, a purebred puppy, says the uh, owner. Uh, she added that her teenage son brought the animal as a pet from for the equivalent of $13 about six months ago. A lady told us that it had eaten three large guinea pigs, uh, lamenting because she had to pay the owners for the dead animals. Now, would you buy a dog that you knew had already eaten three guinea pigs? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, a few days ago, run, run ran away from home and his owners. The ecological police and officials of the state National Forest and Wildlife Service are looking for him to take him to a special center or zoo. At least that's the storyline. Yes, we're going to take him to a special place. Well, the uh, a veterinarian and wildlife specialist uh, told Reuters that many wild animals are bought by traffickers from Amazonian areas such as Laredo and some other places as well to be illegally traded in Lima. Trafficking in wild uh, animals or wildlife brings these uh, consequences. Many specimens are captured from hatchlings. For this, uh, they kill the parents and these juveniles are legally traded in informal markets. And hence, you have a uh, fox in the hen house or in the guinea pig pen or duck pond just having his uh, way in case uh, in this case the fox uh, was bought as a domestic dog so make sure you're getting what you uh, what you paid for let's see naples italy the three wise men have something extra to carry along with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh when they travel to visit baby jesus this year their covid health pass Now, craftsmen along um, the San Gregorio Armino Street in the historical Naples, Italy, are famous for using art to adapt their nativity scenes to the times that they're living in. Last year was the year of the masks, so the figurines of Mary, Joseph, and the three wise men were wearing masks. This year, it seemed like the right thing to keep following this direction, says one of the craftsmen. The green pass, which shows someone has received at least one vaccine dose, tested negative, or recently re- uh, recovered from the virus, is a requirement in Italy for traveling on much inner city transport um, and to access a range of cultural and leisure Venues, because the three wise men have to take a long journey to the uh, crib, I gave them all their own green passes so that they would have the proper documents for traveling. The uh, Neapolitan nativity scenes developed into an art form 
In the Baroque period, many Italian families have a scene on display in their homes at Christmas time. Reaction among tourists to the wise men being given passes complete the QR with the QR code in order to be able to follow the star without problems was mostly positive. We all have the green pass. Um, why shouldn't the three wise men, said one observer. They're coming from so far away and crossing so many countries. It's a good message for the people. We should all have the green pass, the tourists, as well as the residents. So the wise men brought uh, gifts and also ID. Well, I mean, you know, isn't the um, you know, what, the replacement for frankincense these days uh, Pfizer? Well, it may well be. Bringing gifts of Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. (laughs) We'll have to check back and see what they uh, actually bring to the party. Exactly. Well, Santa may have fewer eyes in homes this Christmas season after a Georgia judge jokingly banned the elf on the shelf. I don't know about you, James, but I find that elf thing, my family never did it, but I've seen the elf. I think he's creepy. And he shows up in places where he's uninvited, watching and... Apparently relaying information. My concern is the White House is going to find out about this and insist that every household have one. And he's going to report back on who's vaccinated and who's not, whether or not you're wearing your mask and so on. If you're gathering for the holidays, that's my main concern. Anyway, Cobb County Superior Court uh, Chief Justice um, Robert Leonard uh, on Twitter Thursday banished these elves. Tired of living an elf on the shelf tyranny? Not looking forward to the elf forgetting to move and causing your kids emotional distress? I am a public servant and will take the heat for you. My gift to tired parents, the judge tweeted. Well, according to the holiday tradition, the elves um, hide in homes for weeks before Christmas and report back to Santa on who's been naughty or nice. The elf dolls are supposed to move to a different location every night. Well, sometimes parents forget. Inexplicably, elves sometimes move and don't move overnight. When those elves do not move, it leaves our children of tender years in states of extreme emotional distress, the judge wrote in his order. He recalled an an horrific incident, rather, in his own home when three children were sent to school in tears with one child being labeled an elf murderer and accused of making the elf lose his magic. Okay, we don't believe in magic here. I'm just quoting what the judge wrote. Given the risks of such emotional damage, the supply chain issues caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, the judge wrote uh, that he had no choice but to banish the elves from Cobb County. He did make an allowance for parents who don't feel overwhelmed by the elf on the shelf tyranny, writing in his tweet, if you love your elf, keep your elf no contempts. Wow. You know, it's my understanding that now that the the elves on the shelves are unemployed, that the um, that the Biden administration is speaking to them about future employment because of their uh, you know abilities to keep a list. <laughs> well, it's entirely possible. Wow. Well, there won't be any elf on the shelf or anything else at my house. So there you have it. Well, Ohio has reversed course after a new license plate showed the Wright brothers uh, flying. Backward, we'll tell you more about that when we return from the break. Also, a couple got married in the most beautiful Taco Bell ceremony you've ever heard of. An 89-year-old man earned his Ph.D. in physics from Brown University, so it's never too late. And a gardener in Austria, I guess, actually it's Australia, 
uh, has a tree that grows five different species of fruit. I don't know where to get that particular tree. It sounds like a great idea. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the lighter side of the news stories from the last several days. Coming up in the second hour of the program, we'll hear from Dr. Albert Moeller and Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney Ryan Bangert about the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary's lawsuit challenging the vaccine mandate for employers. Bob Bernie will weigh in to discuss how the vaccine mandate will turn employers into the vaccine police. And um, Carol Markowitz uh, will talk about the disturbing limits we're seeing to free and unfettered speech right here in the U.S. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment with more of the lighter side of the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We're winding our way through some of the lighter side of the news. We, me, and James Blend, who's joined me. Well, officials in Ohio had to literally reverse course. They realized their, their new state license plate designed uh, featured a plane flying backward. Nobody apparently noticed. Let's back up. The Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles recently redesigned its uh, Standard license plate for the first time since 2013 and unveiled the new look in a tweet a couple of weeks ago. Well, it depicts a brown field of wheat, green hills, blue waters, gray skyscrapers, a child and a dog playing beneath a leafy tree and a yellow sun shining in the sky. So far, so good. Well, at the very top, an historic looking plane carries a banner reading Ohio Birthplace of Aviation. The illustration is a nod to the Wright brothers who lived in Dayton for most of their lives, who created and flew the world's first successful motor operated planes plane rather in 1903. But eagle eyed viewers, they quickly pointed out that the plane appeared to be pushing the banner rather than pulling it. Within hours, the um, motor vehicle division had apologized for the error, released an updated version with the plane facing the other way. The right way. Well, officials said the state would recycle the roughly 35,000 plates it had already printed, uh, but it wasn't the end. Some critics took issue with another aspect of the design. The Wright Brothers' historic first flight, and presumably the model for the uh, plate design, actually took place in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina and Ohio. They've long been um, at odds over who gets the title of first in flight, as Cincinnati Public Radio reported. Well, Ohio is where the Wright brothers were born and created the first airplane while aviation history was actually made in North Carolina. Well, the two states briefly set aside their bickering to celebrate the anniversary of the first flight in their first ever joint ceremony last December. It was a virtual ceremony because, well, there's a pandemic. So it was only a matter of time before North Carolina weighed in on the license plate flop. So the controversy continues. Let's Boy, that, I mean, you know, it just uh, kind of reminds me, the, the plane flying backwards kind of reminds me of the, that famous stamp with the plane flying upside down. I believe it was the spirit of St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that at the Postal Service ac- accidentally put out decades ago. Yeah. Well, you wonder if you if you'd held on to them, if they'd be worth something decades later. I know the stamps are, but yeah, yeah, the license plate, very possibly. Very possibly, because they will destroy them. And if you happen to have one or two, we might want to make a trip there and see what we can find. Yep. Um, Well, Anna Lucia. I guess that's her name. And Kyle Hauser. 
wanted to a low-stress, inexpensive wedding. So the couple created the ultimate Taco Tuesday, having their wedding reception at Taco Bell. Well, the pair of 24 and 25 years old, respectively, from Sacramento, California, got married on Tuesday, the 26th of October at San Francisco City Hall. The ceremony was followed soon after by their wedding reception at the Taco Bell in Pacifica, California, which is famous for being one of the chain's most beautiful locations. Well, Garcia and Hauser, who are high school sweethearts, uh, told Fox News that they chose October 26th as their wedding date because it was also their eight-year dating anniversary. We just wanted to keep it all on one date. Uh, Hauser added that the uh, San Francisco City Hall is only open on weekdays, which gave them another excuse to get married on that Tuesday. Well, Garcia, who's the bride, by the way, said that they chose City Hall for their wedding day because they wanted to have a low-stress, inexpensive wedding. I wanted to elope initially, she says, but we wanted to do something where we could still have our family and also not spend a ton of money. Sounds wise to me. It's a beautiful location and it was convenient. Well, when they were rethinking about where to hold their reception, Garcia said, I saw online that a Taco Bell in Las Vegas hosts weddings. Uh, That's when she uh, wondered if the Pacifica location did as well. We didn't want anything that was super high stress, she said. We also love Taco Bell. So Hauser, the groom, added it was just uh, good, consistent food. We enjoy it. It's cheap, and we have a lot of fun eating the food. Well, he explained that when they were in high school, they would go to Taco Bell after school dances or football games because it was open later than other restaurants. Then when they were in college, it was perfect for dates on a budget. It just kind of continued, and... Uh, They were able to share that with their wedding guests. So they had their wedding at City Hall and their reception at the Pacifica Taco Bell, which is one of the loveliest locations in that area. It was a really cool balance between having a nice, elegant ceremony at City Hall and then driving 30 minutes or so down the coast to Pacifica and having a more casual, fun party, she says. Uh, It was sort of the best of both worlds. Taco Bell. Now, Dan Rice and I, we had an evening wedding. Right. Um, we Dan, knowing my husband, he insisted on helping to clean up afterwards. So we were among the last to leave the church. We were flying the next morning um, from a hotel at the airport to uh, Hawaii, where we spent our honeymoon. And there were no restaurants open. So he and I had uh, Taco Bell. We had Burrito Supremes uh, for our wedding night. And for the first, I don't know, five, maybe even 10 years, we would have uh, Burrito Supremes on our anniversary. So I can, I can, I can feel this couple. I know where they're coming from. I mean, I, I look at it and I, you know, I, I think of uh, fast food restaurants and not really think of them as wedding places, but I think I've <laughs> talked before about the uh, uh, McDonald's in my uh, hometown in New York, uh, which was a converted mansion. Oh, uh, McDonald's bought the land on the cheap, thought they could tear down the old building that was dilapidated, and uh, Couldn't. sure enough, uh, the uh, town fought back, and you have what we now refer to as McMansion. <laughs> I've heard the phrase before. The of most interesting-looking fast food places in America. Now, that's a place I could see getting married at. McMansion, can you look that up? I've, I'd like to see that. I just sent you a picture. Oh, I'd love to see it. I'll check it out. All right, um... Top baby names for 2021. There are some familiar trends. Uh, Olivia and Liam are still the highest ranking baby names in the U.S. We have one of our coworkers, Chris's uh, son, is a Liam. Uh, For the second year in a row, the names are the most popular for girls and boys, leading Baby Center's Top 100 Baby Names list. The Parenting Resource site recently released its 2021 list, which showed new and existing trends uh, from years past. 
Now, I don't know if your name has ever shown up on the list, but mine has never been on the popular baby name list. Nobody's naming a child, a pet, anything, Georgine. It's just yeah, I not mean, mine's done. Mine's perpetually popular. I mean, but never. It, it's kind of like me. It's always, it's always just kind of there on the list, but really not standing out at all. Just like me. Just have to rub it in, but it's on the list. Well, you know, it, it was it was one of those things we were determined to pick something common for our daughter, and we didn't. So you know. Oh, I love her name. That's a beautiful name. Okay, here's the the uh, list of girls' names. Number ten. Harper, number nine, Luna, number eight, Mia, number seven, Isabella, number six, Charlotte, five, Sophia, four, Ava, three, Amelia, two, Emma, and the number one girl's name, Olivia. I really like Olivia. For boys, number 10, Ethan, nine, James, huh? James, number eight, Asher. Number seven, Mason. Six, Levi. Five, Lucas. Number four, Elijah. Number three, Oliver. Does anybody name a kid Elisha? I've never heard of Elisha in our day and age. Anyway, number three, Oliver. Number two, Noah. And number one, Liam. Noah is still up up on the list. I'm I'm guessing, though, if they had, uh, for the girls' names, if they had uh, gone from 10 to 15, Georgine is bound to have been on it. Oh, I would think so. Yeah. You're just outside the top 10. Absolutely. I'll just keep telling myself that. Well, a Rhode Island man is celebrating the achievement of his lifelong dream after earning his doctorate in physics at age 89. Yay. Uh, He was previously, he had previously earned a medical degree and a doctorate in biochemistry. He said his attention turned back to physics after he retired at age, well, 70. He was working as a hematologist at Brown University. Well, he said he had uh, always wanted to story physics, but uh, he went into medicine instead at his family's urging. He said retirement allowed him to start taking physics classes at Brown. It's an old dream that starts in my childhood, he says. I always wanted to become a physicist. Uh, Steiner, that's his name, said he took one or two classes a week until he had earned a degree. So I went to all the classes, and eventually I made it on the graduate on to graduate school, and I thought, why not continue now? I might as well get a Ph.D., You know, guys in his 80s, why not just go on and get a Ph.D.? His uh, passion for physics is driven by um, the field's precision. In medicine, he says, I always felt there was so many variables. In physics, there are some variables, a lot of them actually, but you can go to a precision that is unmatched anywhere in the other scientific world. Well, he was awarded his doctorate after successfully defending his thesis, um, thesis, Get that confused with the 95. Anyway, corrections to the geometric interpretation of Bosonization. Boy, I'm sorry I missed that. That would, what must have been fascinating. He said he's considering walking at Brown's commencement ceremony in May. I think he should. That's pretty amazing. I'll be lucky if I can read. If uh, the Lord wills and I live to 89, I probably... <laughs> Well, the joke's on the government in this case, because let's be honest, all those student loan payments, <laughs> he ain't gonna <laughs> they're never going to for them. <laughs> well, there you go. One Austra- <laughs> An Australia gardener earned a Guinness World Record when he successfully grafted five different types of fruits onto a single tree. Well, he's uh, from Victoria. He said he actually grafted 10 different fruits onto the tree in his backyard, but Guinness World Records told him not all of them counted as different types. Well, the tree bears white and yellow nectarines, uh, white and yellow peaches, blood and uh, yellow plums, 
peach cots, apricots, almonds, and cherries. They told me my application was rejected because they needed five different species, not varieties. Guinness initially told him that he had merely tied the record with five fruits, which were set to earlier. Sometimes you just need to have a conversation. He did that, and they re- reversed themselves. Uh, he told Guinness his tree is meant to symbolize peaceful coexistence and serve as an example of how to live together with respect and acceptance in a diverse society. I feel better. I think I'm going to go home and have a nectarine. All right, we've got news and traffic coming up here in just a few moments and the Christian outlook in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. So stay with us and stick around. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.